news. And one of the unusual aspects of the story that caught my attention was the age of the person who was the main character in this nationally communicated story. Malachi Love Robinson was only 18 years of age. He fraudulently opened up a community medical center in Florida. Malachi erroneously assumed the role of a licensed physician named Dr. Love. Although Dr. Love looked younger than his age 18, if you were to look at the picture uh, to check the story, you'll find he looks like he's about 13 years old. There were still people in the community that were willing to allow him to become their primary care physician. And even though uh, he obviously, as the story unfolds, did not have any medical training, uh, he was convincing enough that people thought he was in fact a doctor. The good news is that there's no indication that he wrote prescriptions or performed surgery. Now, for all intents and purposes, everything was going well. The clinic, people were coming from the community. They were under the radar. Nobody felt anything out of the ordinary was occurring until Dr. Love got greedy. He decided to swindle an 80-year-old woman and his medical a partner out of $50,000. And when he was reported, the police investigated and they discovered that Malachi Love Robinson was a total perpetrator. And so he stood before the judge and because of the danger and recklessness of this fraud, this scam, he was sentenced to serve five years in prison. Uh, during his time in prison, he was interviewed by Dateline, and I was shocked and amazed when they asked him about why he pretended to be a physician. I'm going to read what I remember him saying. He said, I am whatever people believe I am to them. I was able to help people that thought I was a doctor by being what they needed me to be and believe that I was. I became what I pretended to be. I am a doctor if that is what you decide I am. Thank God. <laughs> He's behind bars. Uh, they actually gave him a time of uh, probation before he went to jail, and he was taken into immediate custody when he took a bounce, he took a, he took, stole someone's checkbook and wrote a, a, a check to buy a Jaguar and he was just about to drive it off the lot when they discovered that the check was fraudulent. This need to, let, let, me, let me back up a little bit. As strange as this story sounds, unfortunately, unfortunately, too many people 
feel the need to pretend to be who we really aren't. Uh, your Facebook profile and highlight reel of your best days is not who you really are. Your hair is not always in perfect, pristine condition. You're not always vacationing on a beautiful island. You are not always having the best day with your children or your makeup. That person that you present to others to allow them to think the best of you is really your make pretend person. The problem is we believe that the make pretend person is who you are. Now, if you're pretending to be something that you aren't, the word pretend tells you that you're pretending. <laughs> this need to impress and be noticed carries over into our personal walk with the Lord. We think that doing spiritual things makes us spiritual. I come to church and read my Bible. I have devotion. I'm on the prayer line every day. I'm on this seven days a week. Oh, you know, we only have five days. I, nobody else shows up, but I'm on this seven days. Instead of thinking being spiritual should make you do spiritual things, you don't become spiritual because you do them. Become spiritual because you, are, you do spiritual things because you are spiritual. God is not impressed with us acting like we are who we're not. He wants you to be spiritual, not act spiritual. He does not want to meet the best representation of yourself because that is all that is, is a representation. One of the things that happens before we get married, our spouses never meet us until that first day when you roll over and say, oh, Lord. <laughs> they met the re best representation of you, and that is who they decided to marry, and then they discover that was an actor. That was an actress. And so God wants us to be who we really are in him. And I'm not saying, as I've heard repeatedly by Gen Zers and, and Generation X, I'm just going to be me. This is, this is my truth. This is my reality. I, I'm just going to tell it like it is. That's not what I'm talking about, telling it like it is. Because your best you still needs to be converted. Your best you needs to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, we meet two men who could not be more different. One man is described as a Pharisee, a religious leader, who was, a, who was trained in the tenets of the Decalogue, the Torah, the Ten Commandments of Moses. This group of religious leaders or, or, or this religious sect called the Pharisees was the most prominent, well-thought-of group of holy men during the time of Christ. This group actually came into existence during what is called the intertestamental period, the period between the last book of the Old Testament, which is not the book of Malachi, but the book of Nehemiah, 
chronologically, Nehemiah and Malachi take place contemporaneously. They happen at the same time, but different events. And the way the, the Masorites organized the Old Testament, they had Malachi as the last book when Nehemiah actually is, when the people return back to the land. But between Malachi or between Nehemiah and Matthew, there's a period called the silent years where there's no revelation. It's 400 years of silence. And it was during this period of time that this sect called the Pharisees came into existence. And they emphasized what is called the oral tradition of the Bible. There was no divine revelation. And so they would, would here we go. Hey, man, this is my technology talking back at me. And I have no idea what to do because I didn't ask the question and it's answering. But they followed the oral tradition and they recorded during that period, that intertestamental period, a book called the, 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 the Mishnah. And the Mishnah included the Talmud and another book called the Gemar, and the Gemar and the Talmud were inside of the Mishnah. One was the written oral tradition. The, the Talmud was the written oral traditions that the Jews believed existed outside of the Bible that talked about the Bible, and they believed that because they came from the, the, they came from the Masorites, then the scribes, then the, then the rabbis, that, they, that these traditions were just as authoritative as the Bible itself. So they made the oral tradition equal to scripture. And then the gizma, or the gizma, uh, was the interpretation of the oral traditions and the law. So there are 10 commandments. What the Jews did, what, these, what the Pharisees did, they, they took the 10 commandments and had 633 interpretations for the 10 commandments. And so, but they, and so they put their traditions above the word of God, and we're going to see that. We're going to see that as we go along, and you'll forget all of that when you leave. But the point is <laughs> that this was a religious group that really was serious about being holy, serious about knowing what they were talking about. But then there was another guy that went to the temple on that day, and Jesus told a parable. He told a heavenly story that had a profound earthly meaning. That's what a parable is, is a heavenly story with an earthly meaning about the second man who is described as the worst of the worst among Jewish people. He was a tax collector. And what made him so notorious and hated is that he was collecting taxes for the Roman government, which was the oppressor of the nation of Israel. And these tax gatherers, who Matthew, the book of Matthew, uh, Matthew was a tax collector before he got saved. They were notorious. They would rob you while you were looking. They would rob you blind while you were looking at them. They'd steal from their own mother, and they had no conscience about it. And so they were hated. And so the scripture said, on this day, Two people went to the temple, and their purpose for going was to pray. Now, one of the things that we're going to notice is that one group, one man, believed that pretending that he was 
godly made him godly. And the other one recognized that he couldn't pretend to be what he was not. That was the tax collector. Now, I want to talk with you about, and this is really important. See, God looks, the Bible says, God looks at the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance. The scripture also said that every man's works will be tried according to what kind they are, what sort they are. God is going to turn our works inside out. He is more concerned about why we do what we do than what we do that we do, okay? So God is looking at our hearts. God's looking at our motivation. Why are you here at church today? Why do you read your Bible? Why are you calling on the Lord? Is God your Santa Claus? So I can mention something about it. Amen, amen, amen. We'll move on with that, Elder Ward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're winners today. We're winners for the word is true. The word is true. Amen, amen. So what we, what we discover is how people can confuse our fake self for our real self. Now, the good news is that if you marry, your spouse gets to see the real you. If you got children, they're going to see the real you. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, the first thing that we're going to notice from this passage of Scripture, beginning in verse 9, is that false confidence and man-made rules can make you think you're spiritual while you despise other people. Man-made rules, religious rules, can make you think you're spiritual while you, at the same time, you can't stand <laughs> your coworker. <laughs> you don't want her to die, but it wouldn't be bad if she slipped and hit her head. You know, you'd visit her at the hospital, wouldn't you? That's what spiritual people do. Notice the scripture says, and he spoke this parable, this heavenly story with earthly application, to some who what? Underline this, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. They trusted in themselves. Now, false confidence in man-made religious rules made them believe that they were spirit. They trusted in themselves that they were right with God. Now, let me explain to you what I believe man-made religious rules look like or, or what they are. Man-made religious rules are requirements that are designed to dictate how you live and how you think. They are man-made requirements that are designed to dictate, to tell you how to live and how to think. These rules can be made by religious institutions like the Catholic Church or the Protestant Church. It can be made by individual denominations. Some denominations say, you can't wear lipstick. You can't wear earrings. Please, Lord, somebody put some lipstick on. Uh, you, you can't eat certain foods. Uh, you have to worship on a certain day. And, of course, like the Pharisees, these rules were taken from oral tradition, and they took those traditions and superimposed them on the scriptures, made them the final authority rather than words. Stay with me. These rules can be made, as I said, by, by institutions, by denominations, by individuals, within a church group. Whoever you view as spiritual, you want to be like them. If everybody's wearing beanies, you want to wear a beanie. If everybody walks in backwards like they do in a moonwalk, that's spiritual, you know. <laughs> if every pastor has on a big old cross that's heavy enough for him to have to help them, somebody help him bring it up to the field, that's what pastors are going to do. 
And so it can be individuals, groups within, within, within the church. The religious rules they make are used to measure how holy you are. And sometimes, here's the way it becomes spiritualized. How many ministries are you on? How often do you tithe? How often are you at church? Those become indicators of how spiritual you are. If you go to a, a church that emphasizes uh, faith and prosperity, what you drive in, where you live. Do you speak in tongues? Are none. The religious rules are made to use to measure holiness and to punish you if you don't comply. If you don't comply, then you, you aren't spiritual. Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? Now, what's wrong with uh, man-made rules, religious rules? The first thing I want to say that man-made rules, they don't come from God. They're not from God. They are man-made rules, like with the Pharisees, oral traditions that they made that are as important made to be as important as the work. Now, man-made religious rules, one of the reasons why they're dangerous is they'll keep you out of heaven. They'll keep you from getting saved. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. He said, I tell you this, unless the righteousness, your righteousness surpasses the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will no wise inherit the kingdom of heaven. You can't get to heaven based on man-made rules. Jesus said, unless you have a different kind of righteousness than the Pharisees do, don't expect to even get, don't expect to get saved. And if you're not saved, guess what? You're not inheriting the kingdom of heaven. The Bible says there is a way that seems right unto man, but the end of that way is a way of what? That's why we need to know the word. The scripture says study to show yourself approved, not myself, but yourself approved that you may be a worker who need not be ashamed, rightly cutting straight the word of God. You need to be like that newborn baby, the Bible says, that craves, that, that, that salivates over the sincere milk of the word of God, that you may grow thereby. And through growing through the word of God, faith comes by what? Hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And when we have heard the word of God, the Bible says we are exercised in our spiritual senses so that now you and I can distinguish between, through discernment, what is good and what is best and what pleases God. And so the danger of marriage will really keep you out of heaven. Make you acceptable to that church that you're going to, but it won't get you into heaven. Man-made religious rules deny the absolute final authority of the word. Oh, I like what Jesus says as a warning in, in Matthew's chapter, uh, Mark chapter 7, verses 6 through 9. He said, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you? Oh, Jesus didn't mix words. He wasn't politically correct. He said, you hypocrites. He says, you, you, you draw near to God with your mouth because that's what religious people do. They sound the part. But he said, your heart is far from God. And here's how I know. He said, because you have replaced the commandments of God with the traditions of men and you've made your rules the final authority and not the word of God. That's why when people tell you you can't wear this, you can't go there, you need to be able to, to, to substantiate that in the word. Where does it say that in the scriptures? I don't care what you're going through, how complicated it is. If it's a matter of science, whatever the subject is, God has already spoken. He may not use scientific terms. He might not use mathematic terms, but he has said something by way of principle regarding how we are to make decisions. That's why the Bible says acknowledge him in how many ways? All of your ways. 
And he said, I will direct your path. Trust in me with how much of your heart? All of your heart and lean not to your own understanding. Oh, we don't want to replace the commandments of God with what the group says based on whatever church you're going to. A lady was visiting a church one time. She came in, and she just was visiting, trying to, her husband had died, and she's just brokenhearted and wanting to be comforted. And she came to the altar, and the lady circled her, and they started taking her earrings off. Somebody took a, a, a Kleenex and wiped her lipstick off. And then they put a towel around the lady. She had a three-quarter lip. And by the time they all but took all that lady's clothes off before she got out of there. She said, I, I almost ran out. And she said, now, when they start going for my ring, <laughs> she said, I, I just stopped the little prayer circle. Man-made religion will cause you to put the authority of what other people think above the word of God. All scripture is given by word, by inspiration, theonumatos, by the mouth, the breath of God. Man-made religion will, will cause you to trust man rather than God. The Bible said some of them trusted in themselves. How are you evaluating where you are spiritually? What do you use as a measuring standard to determine if you're growing in Christ? By the way, when we talk about making New Year's resolutions, how many of you said my resolution is going to be, I want to be more like Jesus this year? What a, oh, I'm going to get a better job. I'm going to get me a wife. I'm going to get me a husband. I'm going to move into a bigger house. What about being like Jesus? But seek ye what? First, how many? But first, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That ought to be our resolution every day of the year. I want to be more like Jesus. It may make you trust in man more than you trust in God. They trusted in their own righteousness. It almost kept Paul out of heaven. Paul says, according to the law, I was perfect. He says, I was a tribe of Benjamin, uh, circumcised on the eighth day. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He had all of the credentials. And he said, what I didn't understand, that everything that I thought I needed to be accepted by God was the very thing that kept me from God because it was a righteousness not based on faith in Jesus. It was a righteousness that was made by man-made rules. It kept me from God. He said, I counted all garbage. Every credential, every degree, every accolade, every special uh, recognition is worthless if it keeps you from Jesus. Well, I'm singing on the choir. I'm joining the church. Well, are you a part of the church of Christ by trusting him? Now, how did the Lord feel about those who pretended to be spiritual, but they really weren't because they were following man-made rules. See, let me, let me bring this thing home because this is going over some of your head. I don't know where you were last night. You don't even know where I was. I, my wife does. I was, where was I? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so we can come to church. We just left playing craps or something worse. All you got to do is dress us up. And we look like we God's good all the time. You can look like you're listening to this message and you're thinking about where you're going to be and who you're going to be when you leave here. But you're cool with the fact that you 
played the part that people thought the right things about you in terms of what Christians are supposed to look like. That's what I'm talking about. When we put more concern about how others think about us, men becomes big and God is small to us. There's no place where you and I can go that's dark enough, far enough, enough locks on it that God isn't already there before you and I got there. How did the Lord feel about the Pharisees who pretended when you go to when you get a chance in Matthew chapter 23, verses 13 through 29, he calls them hypocrites seven times. A person that's a hypocrite is a perpetrator. One thing about young people today, they don't just accept it because, well, the Bible says, well, OK, show me why you believe this. That's why the Bible said, be ready to give an answer to every man who asks the reason of the hope. That's within you. We need to be prepared. That's why you need to come to Bible study. That's why you need to become a part of the biblical academy. That's why you need to be a part of life group so you can answer people who ask why. Why do you believe what you believe? And so Jesus said, these folks that know the Old Testament, he said they're hypocrites, they're mask wearers, they're perpetrators. Seven times. What made them perpetrators? He says in verse 3, they tell you to do what they don't do. You know how when we grew up, I was growing up, don't do what I do, I'm grown. Don't you do as I say, not as I do. He said, they're people, he says, so, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. That's a hypocrite. Somebody that tells you to do one thing that they don't have any intention of doing, or they want to give you the impression that they're doing it. They are self-deceived. They are self-deceived. The scripture says, um, the, the worst thing that can happen about pretending to be what we're not is that you lie to yourself. I'll ask people, do you hear what you're saying to yourself? Do you know how you talk to yourself? Do you know what you really think about yourself based on what you're saying? Oh, I didn't say that. I didn't mean that. The worst thing that could ever happen to you is that you believe a lie about yourself. They were self-deceived. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous. The scripture says, be be doers of the word, not hearers only. Because when we simply hear the word and not do it, we're like people who look in the mirror of God and we look either bad or good and the word tells us how to get our stuff together. But as soon as we walk away from the mirror, we forget how we look and then we're operating on basing, basing our, our, our behavior and thoughts on what people say rather than what God has said. God rejects pretense because it, it leads to self-deception. You cannot know the truth that will set you free until you're honest about your weaknesses. I'm not going to pour my heart out to anybody that doesn't bleed. There's some people who think that being spiritual means that you don't cry, you don't struggle, you never tell anybody you're having a hard time, you just drown. No, you don't drown because you, don't, you may not get rescued. Well, God's going to come. No, he already came. He gave you a life raft if you had simply told somebody. It's not being spiritual when you pretend that you have it all together because you're pretending. 
You're pretending. None of us have it all together, even me, as good as I am. <laughs> I tell myself all that. I say, I say when I go to visit people, I say, do you see this picture right here? This handsome guy. I say, don't forget, don't forget this handsome face. And they look at me and laugh. I said, the only person that tells me I'm handsome is me, so I might as well. <laughs> Self-deceived. One of the best ways of ha avoiding having false confidence and being unspiritual, you can be in a church for years and just as carnal, you haven't grown, you're still afraid of everything you once were afraid of, you're still cussing and lying and, and bite-biting and gossiping and and no different in terms of how you handle problems than you were when you got saved 25 years ago. The Bible calls those baby Christians, carnal Christians. So you ought to be teaching by now, but instead you have to be taught. You have to be burped and diaper changed. Sometimes, here's, here's how you overcome false confidence that makes us think we're spiritual because we're following the rules that every, everybody is impressed by. You need some face time with God. <laughs> In the year that King Uzziah died, the Bible says that Isaiah was given a vision. He had some face time with God. In a vision, he was taken into the very courts of heaven, and he said, I saw the Lord at the Nile. He was high, and he was lifted up, and the train of his robe was filling the temple, and the cherubims kept singing. That Before they were singing, he noticed he said they had six wings. With two, they covered their faces, and two, they covered their feet, and with two, they did fly, but they maintained the distance. They were holy, but he was so much holier that they couldn't approach him, and they kept singing, holy, holy. Holy, holy, and the Bible said that the temple was being filled with smoke. And then Isaiah said, uh-oh, Dave's to be in here. The smoke's supposed to be in here. But I'm a dude that cusses. I'm a man with unclean lips. I want you to understand that when you are experiencing FaceTime with the Lord, he is going to show you you. And when, he, when you see yourself as you are, then he will dispatch a way for you to be restored. He will dispatch a way for you to get closer. Because the Bible said if you draw nigh unto him, he will draw near to you. When's the last time you had FaceTime with the Lord? Well, I'm waiting for the vision like Moses had. I, I, like Isaiah, you don't have to have a vision. Of heaven. I like the way Paul puts it in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, like Moses, who would go into the mountain and he would spend time face to face with God. And we know that God is spirit and they that worship him. He doesn't always manifest in physical presence in a physical form like he did in Isaiah chapter 6. And, and, and so he would be in the presence of the Lord and the glory of the Lord would appear as a bright light. And the more he spent time in the presence of the Lord, the more his face was transformed. And so when he would come down from the mountain, the people would be afraid because Moses is face was literally gone. You can't be in the presence of the Lord and not be changed. And so what Moses would do, he would cover his face. That the only one who could go into the mountain was Moses. And Paul says, we don't have to be restricted because all of us in Jesus, 
We have direct access to the Lord. We can appear in his presence with unveiled faces, uncovered faces, and begin to experience his presence. Every time I open up this word, every time I pray, the Lord's glory can show up. One of the things that I encourage, and I really believe I need to do more, I need to spend more private time alone to have face time with the Lord. Because when you do, you're changed from the inside out. Let me hurry on. Mm. Focus on eternal. Focus on, they focus on the eternal. External, I'm sorry. Focus on the external allows us to pretend that we're spiritual while we have sin harvest, har, while sin is harvesting in our heart. He said they trusted in themselves. They had confidence that they were right. While at the same time, they despised others. Incongruent. If you think you are spiritual and you are unforgiving, you are a grudge holder, you are vindictive, you don't have no problem lying to get, get your way. And by the way, you ain't cooperating unless you get your way. Because your way is the only way. You're not spiritual. You're carnal. You in your flesh. That, the fruit of the spirit is not what you are displaying. We need to be able to discern what we are, what we are seeing. Fake spirituality focuses on the external. The religious leaders, uh, they, um, he says... When, when he gets in, he says he prayed to himself. Notice, it wasn't to the Lord. He prayed to himself like this. He said, I'm not like the extortioner. I'm not like this, the adulterer. I, I, he concentrated on what he did rather than who he was. You are not what you do. You are not your title. You are not that house you live in. You get sick. They're taking you out of the house to the hospital, and you may never make it back there. But guess who's in the hospital? The house is still where it was, and the real you is in that hospital bed. You are not what you do. You're not the title. You're not the office one in the front of the building. That's not who you are. Those things don't make you who you are. They focus on the outward. Oh, this is what I do. I go to church. I'm in ministry, da, 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 da. But nothing has changed about your heart. Stay with me. Religious leaders focus on the external. They, they, he, he, when you get a chance at Matthew 23, they dressed apart. The when they rolled up the church, they looked like preachers. Talked about how they had, they would have uh, philatrophies, which were boxes with scrolls of scripture in them. So they walk up there with scriptures all over their clothes. <laughs> Wasn't in their heart, but it was showing their clothes. They'd have tassels on their bell bottoms. They didn't have bell bottoms on the end of their room. They'd come in with tassels, and you can hear, ding, 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 ding. The Pharisees are here. So they looked apart, and, but the scripture said they did it all to impress people. Are you more concerned about what people think than God thinks? I want you to know if that's your, if that's your focus, you're in, you are, you're, your, your intentions are focused on the external, not the internal. Let me hurry on. Fake spirituality allows you to live comfortably in sin. As I said, they despised, they despised others. 
They despised others, and they had no problem with that. Do you get convicted when you get angry with somebody and you want to hurt them? Does it bother you when you say things to people because you're going to straighten them out, and then when you get home, you realize you were acting like somebody who didn't know Jesus? And then why, why is this dude, I stepped in, I tell you, I stepped in the line. He wasn't in the line. Now he act like trying to show off for his coworker, female, trying to act like I stepped in front of him and he's going to be upset. And I said, praise the Lord. And he opened up his mouth. He had a tooth up the top. But I said, praise God. <laughs> but it shocked him. I looked him dead and I said, praise the Lord. And he had to smile. He had to smile. <laughs> that wasn't a pretty smile, y'all. They focus on the external, how they dress, on titles, where they sit. They have to have the best seat. They have to be, the most, be in the most notable place. They demand it. My titles obligate you to do this. And uh, I, have, I have to uh, share this with you guys to, get the, to help you understand the, the emphasis of Scripture that we don't want to focus, because salvation doesn't come from the outside in. It comes from the inside out. It says what comes from the inside is what corrupts us, not what we do on the outside. My cousin and I, we just got paid our first pay. We're going down to a PSSS. FS back in Philadelphia, back in the day, a long time ago. Yeah, you remember that? And we put our money in the bank. We feel pretty good about ourselves. And as we walk out the door, we bump. A, a guy introduces himself. Hi, my name. He's talking Jamaican, Jamaican. I should have known something. He's speaking in Jamaican. And he says, I just got off of the boat, and I've never been in a big city like this. And I'm very confused, and they dropped us off. He says, and I've been, I've been, I'm just wandering around. And then he pulls out this big wad of money, this cash. And we say, my cousin, like, put that away, man. Put that away, you poor thing. Somebody's going to rob you. And I said, and he said, I said, you need to put the money in the bank. He said, well, I shall put my money into the bank. If you, put, if you show me that you can withdraw money from the bank, I'll put my money into the bank. And so he said, my cousin and I, <laughs> he said, well, we'll show you we can withdraw money from the bank. <laughs> and while we're going in, another guy walks up. And he's saying, man, come with me. So, oh, now we're really concerned that he's going to be taking advantage because the second guy is obviously dishonest and low life, and he's trying to swindle and so forth. So I said, before we go in the bank, I said, look, we need to go get something to eat. They walked down to a place to get something to eat. My cousin and the guy walk in. We ordered the biggest breakfast. This is loaded. We're going to eat good today. So I go in the bank. My cousin has gotten some money out. I ain't getting a whole bunch. I got like, I don't know. I ain't going to tell you what I got out. But anyway... <laughs> By the time I get out, I call my mother, and she said, get away. I'm like, wait a minute. We're bringing him home. We, we need to make room for this guy. She said, get And I'm like, cruel, ungodly. How dare you? This dude is stranded and nobody to help him. And so she said, get away. And so I said, oh, Lord, she's not going to let him come and stay with us. So by the time I get back to the restaurant, the guy is gone. My cousin is standing in front of the restaurant with this big wad of paper. Here's what the dude did. He's, we, we were so focused on what we could see. <laughs> the first couple dollars were real. <laughs> but everything else was shreds of newspaper that was cut finally down to, 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 to be the same size as regular dollars. And so here my cousin, we done ordered all this food, and he's standing with this big wide <laughs> of newspaper. And I'm like, we've been had. <laughs> 
want you to know that you may get had. We may think that wood stubble and hay is precious gold, silver and gold, but God doesn't get had by what we see. God doesn't get fooled by fake religion. God doesn't get fooled by us pretending to be what we really aren't. God knows what's under that first bill. God knows what's under that fake smile. God knows what's under that fake raising your hand and praising Jesus. God knows. I'm still mad about that. He <laughs> got my money. Got my money. Oh, Lord. And my mother was right. Focusing. When we pretend to be what we aren't, we will focus on the external. We will falsely think that we're right based on man-made rules while holding grudges and hatred in our heart. Here's another. Freedom in Christ allows you to be real with yourself and others about where you are spiritually. Here's the thing. He says, and, the, and the Bible says that the two men were praying, but the, the second man, the tax collector, he said, he's standing afar off, would not as so much as raise his eyes towards heaven, but he beat his chest saying, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Free, when, you, when you understand, the Bible says, Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And whoever is free in the Lord is free indeed. One of the things that will be true is not only will we recognize that we need mercy, we recognize we need grace, we'll be transparent. We'll tell people, I'm a sinner saved by grace. We'll say like Paul says, but for the grace of God, so go I. Bible says that he wouldn't even fully enter into the temple. That was an act of humility. That I pray, I pray, I pray that our church would become so filled with the presence of God that when you step through the threshold that you will feel his presence through our love and through our unity that it's just here and you can't wait to get here. And when things aren't right, he, the Bible said he stood afar off that was an act of humility. And he said, then he said, he would not even look up to heaven. He kept his head down. That was an act of recognizing God's authority. This is a God thing. I deserve judgment. If, if God decided to act in his sovereignty and give me what I just deserve, I would not be here. It's by his mercies we aren't consumed. And so he wouldn't even look up to heaven. He recognized God's authority as he entered into the, the, the threshold of the temple in humility. And that's how the Bible said he beat his chest. That was the acceptance of his personal guilt in the purity of God. God is holy. God is holy. And when we sin, our hands are dirty. When we sin, we need to come clean before God. When's the last time you came clean with God? Well, about three weeks ago. Well, you sin every day. No, no, let me just speak for myself. I sin every day. And you can prejudge people. Oh, yeah, I know they're on drugs. <laughs> Look how red his eyes are. Yeah. I ain't the only one who did that. <laughs> and so he, he beat his chest, and then he asked for mercy. He asked for mercy. Anybody need mercy today? He got real. He got real with God. I want you to know that freedom in Christ will make you be transparent. You don't have it all together. You ain't the perfect husband. You ain't the perfect wife. 
every day. All of us were watching on uh, Thursday night the football game, and man, we were we thought it was a consequential game between the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals. You weren't you watching that? Somebody say amen. And, and, and DeMar Hamlin, he, he made that tackle, just an ordinary routine tackle. And to our amazement and surprise, he walked back away from the tackle after he stood up and he collapsed and he went immediately into cardiac arrest. He stopped breathing, his start, heart stopped beating, and the, 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 the paramedics ran to him and, and they gave him CPR. And before they could even get him off the field, his heart stopped. He coded twice. Twice he died. Here's, and we're we looking at what, God, what, what, what was happening with the paramedics. They're dealing with this man's heart. They're trying to keep him alive. And, and miraculously, they get him to the hospital. But there was a greater miracle happening. Oh, you see a great, great, powerful, big, mean men, football players, crying like babies, don't know what to do, walking around in dismay. But one thing that got them organized, I found those men on their knees, on national TV, they didn't care what nobody thought. They didn't care what anybody felt. They were on their knees praying, in the name of Jesus, we can't do nothing. We see what the doctors are trying to do, but there's a doctor named Jesus. I haven't been to church for a long time, but I know something about the power of prayer. And they begin to pray. I want you to understand that not only were the paramedics working on DeMar's heart, God was working on the hearts of our nation. The hearts of our nation. God used a tragedy to show us that he has many who have not been to need, many who yet love God, many who don't mind being transparent, prostrate before the Lord, calling out to God. I want you to know the spirit is moving. God is at work when we get real, when we get free in the Lord. God is at work. God is at work. I'm going to stop with that. I'm going to stop. God is at work. I wish they had taken this to, 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 the, to the White House and they would have prayed. They weren't praying those 15 times they took votes. They weren't praying when they talking about going down to the border. The reason why we all messed up and jacked up is because we don't understand that we got to get desperate before the Lord. We need to find, stand with me, our identity in Christ. The scripture says, the Lord said to the tax collector, I say to you that you are justified. The Lord determines who is declared righteous, not man-made religion. Find your identity. The Bible says in Christ dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Everything that God is is in Jesus. But then he says, we are complete in Jesus. Not that we will be. You already are complete in him. The issue is, is not that we lack what we need on the inside, but he says, let us work out our own soul salvation. We need to work out what God has already worked in. You are complete. And the completeness is this. That we were created to be conformed to the image of Jesus. You should be striving every day to be more like him. Find your identity in Christ. One of the greatest experiences I've ever had was when Christian Stronghold headed to Dallas, Texas. 
for the Mighty Men of Valor Conference. I think it was our men's conference. A hundred men agreed to go. But on that weekend, that was a weekend when they had the worst snowstorm in the history of the state of Pennsylvania. Now, the snow hadn't started when we got to the airport in Pennsylvania. But there was an ice storm in Charlotte, ice storm in Dallas. The brothers all 100, we all the same shirt on, mighty men, and Christian stronghold, Pastor Richardson. The brothers went in, the, they were singing, they were passing out tracts, they were, they were uh, talk, uh, sharing Jesus, they were laying hands on folks in the air, walking all around. This is like, I ain't never seen nothing like that. A hundred black men in their right mind. But then when the airline said, delay. We weren't going to be able to fly out from Philadelphia as we thought. One hour became two hours. Two hours became four hours. Six hours. And all of a sudden, Dr. Jeff, something happened to the brother. They went from praying to cussing. They were arguing with the flight attendants. They were making all kinds of demands for beds and hotel rooms. They were pushing to get up in front. And like, one minute, I'm like, I'm proud of this is like. My identity, thank God, wasn't in my brothers, wasn't in that T-shirt, wasn't even in that pastor or the church. Christ hasn't changed. The deal was that one of the things that happens when you go through, it'll show you what's on the inside. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And so those brothers got crazy. We got all the way to Texas. And the people, the rooms that we were supposed to have, the people that were supposed to be discharged, and on their way back home, they were still in the rooms. Oh, then it really got crazy. I can still see one of the brothers. Yeah, Michael Cole. Lord have mercy. We, some of y'all know him. Some of you know him, brother. You know him. Lord have mercy. I think he was standing on top of a table, and I'm tired, and I prayed, and it shouldn't take this long, and what the problem? Well, where did the singing go? Where did the laying on in hands go? I want you to understand that what God was doing was testing us. What you going through right now? What you feel that you lost control over? What, what keeps you awake at night? It's a test to show you where you are spiritually. God doesn't want you to pretend. He wants you to be who you are in him. Let's pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, help us to be real. In you, not in our flesh. Oh, God, it, the story has not fully been told in our lives if we really surrender. Oh, God, how powerful this church would be if we really made Jesus the focus. Oh, God, today, would you take us to that place where we're having FaceTime with you? And may you show us those areas in our life that are not like you. May we lay them at the altar and allow you to purify us and cleanse us. And then, oh God, having risen from the altar in the power of your spirit, may we be Jesus in the presence of those who will never read a Bible, but they will read us as written epistles and they will fall in love with the Jesus we know. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.